Thank you, Lord, you're a way maker. Thank you, Lord, that it's never over, that you're always making a way. You have a plan of a way forward, a way of escape, a way of hope, and a way of help. Lord, thank you that every person in this room, you love them, you know them. You're extending your hand to them, and you're making a way today, a way of faith and hope and love and joy. And we thank you for it. In the precious name of Jesus, amen and amen. Woo! I don't know about you, but I was just taken up with the offering. It was the person uh, actually doing the offering. That's my wife, by the way. And such a joy uh, to look back over 36 years and say, man, I made the right choice. Uh, She's doubted at times if she did, but I have made the right choice. So uh, w- one of the deals was, I was just, uh, uh, as the last couple weeks, been going through some old pictures, and uh, I was going through some old pictures of us, and I'm going to go from college to the present, so this is us in college. Hey, how about that? That's kind of cool. Then uh, that's us in college. Then this is us wedding day, right after college. Fast forward to 2017, after four children and a couple marriages, there's us, and fast forward to the present. Now... I don't know if you've noticed, there's one consistent looking person throughout the years. That is her. Uh, I have changed through the years. She has remained the same. Uh, but not just in her looks, but she is kind of this stable, loyal, faithful person. This is who she is. And uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, we were having one of those discussions. You know, those discussions where I thought I would just casually bring up something that maybe she needed some help with. And... Uh, <laughs> Been trying that for 36 years. Doesn't usually work the way I think it should, but I'm, I'm, we're in one of those discussions, and uh, she says, uh, well, hey, time out, time out. Before we go there, she said, let me ask you a question. Why did you marry me? And I thought for a moment, I said, well, I married you because you're beautiful. I was attracted to you. I married you because you love Jesus and you want to obey him no matter what. I married you because you're a loyal and faithful person. And she said, well, that's good. That's good. She said, has any of that changed? I thought for a minute and I said, no, I don't think so. She said, well, then whatever we're talking about, it's all your fault. (laughs) Making it easy on me. I know that many of you ladies now are wanting Laura's number to come for counseling, how to get to your guy to believe that as well. Well, it's this consistency and faithfulness, it's these fixed points of, um, that we all come to in our lives, and these fixed points determine our destiny. And we've been unpacking the last three, wor- three weeks, two weeks, excuse me, this is now our third, these fixed points, these questions that we all have, whether we know it or not, that need to be answered in all of our hearts. And here are the four big questions of life. Number one, who is Jesus? Wow. Who am I? Who are my people and what is my 
purpose. Your answer to those questions determine your destiny and literally your destination in life. These are the fixed points that must be nailed down. And we're going to go back to the scripture we've been doing the last two weeks, Matthew 16, 13 through 19, to find the answers to those questions. And I just want to put in a good word for the Bible. The Bible is God's love letter to us, and it is absolutely true, and it is infallible. And when we do not understand it, it is not we that accuse God of his word. It's us who come under his word and let it speak back to us. And whatever we don't understand, we can put on a shelf for a moment because we know his character to be true and right and clean. And everything about the word of God is full of life and truth. So here we go. Matthew 16, 13 to 19. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Or who do people saying that I am these days? And they said, some say John the Baptist. We've talked about this, a man who preaches repentance, forgiveness of sins. Others said Elijah, a powerful prophet of signs and wonders. Others say Jeremiah, a compassionate one who weeps. Some say one of the other prophets. And he said to them, that's all cool and everything, but who do you say that I am? That is not a one-time decision, you guys. That is a daily decision. That sometimes is a moment-by-moment decision. Who is Jesus now? Who is Jesus in this challenge? Who is Jesus in this situation? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So it's been revealed. Now you have insight. You know who I am. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Hey, I want to review the first three questions, because as we look back at our slide, in those scriptures, everything was answered. Here we go. If you, it said, who is Jesus? You are the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of the living God. Who am I? Peter finds out who he is in the presence of a revelation of who God is. Then we know who we are. You are a rock, Peter. You're not there yet, but we're going to get you there through my death, burial, and resurrection and my forgiveness and grace towards you. Who are my people? The church, the gates. This is my church, my people that I've called you to love and lead and be a part of. And what is your purpose? To overcome the gates of hell. We're going to spend most of our time on question four, but I want to review again questions one, two, and three. Peter says this again in Matthew 16, 15 and 16. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. So he sets the fixed points. You are God and I am not. You are the promised one. You are the worthy one. You are the one that we're looking for. You're the one who redeems all mankind. Even though he doesn't understand it all, he puts a stake in the ground of who gets to decide who's God, and you, Jesus, alone get to decide. You are the way, the truth, and the life. So he has that fixed revelation. And I love the second phrase, you are the son of the living God. You're not a God just of the past. You're not just a God of the future. You're a God of the present. You're living. I'm looking at you right now. And even though he didn't understand it yet, I know that eventually what happened to you, you're going to send your spirit and live inside of me. So I don't have a God who is distant. I have a God who is present. Woo! And as we've said every week, 
uh, the last few weeks, again, he's here right now. He is the living God, the present tense God. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have access to his grace. We have access to the living God. And we've been talking a lot about this, not only access, but we have attachment that cannot be broken because the attachment is based on his covenant to you. When Jesus literally, through his death, burial, and resurrection, extended his hands, if we call upon the, upon the name of the Lord, we'll saved, he wasn't just saying you'll be saved for eternity. He said you're being saved right now, and I'm putting my Holy Spirit inside of you so you're now tethered like a rope to heaven forever. And you, it, the reason that rope cannot be broken because it's not based on your faithfulness, it's based on his. Whoa. That's a covenant worth worshiping God for, right? God, you have covenanted yourself to me with a rope that cannot be torn because it's based on your faithfulness. I love this scripture in Timothy. Though we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Wow, that's amazing. So my friends, no matter where you are today, up, down, all around, if you're faith and trust is in Jesus alone as King, Lord, and Savior. You are connected through covenant by faith, and he will pull you out. And he will pull you up, and he will carry you because he's attached to you by grace. I love this scripture in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31, 3, and 4. Again, I'm repeating many of the things we've talked about to re-solidify this in your heart. He says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with cords of loving kindness. You shall be built and rebuilt. Not only is he covenanted to save you and to carry you and be faithful to you, but he also says, I'm going to rebuild you, not out of condemnation and performance. I'm going to rebuild you out of grace and love. The perfect love of God drives out all fear. Be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to the God who cares about you. Whatever your angst, addiction, brokenness is, it comes through grace, through faith, through the power of God and the grace of God. As I always said, if you want to get over something that has longevity and eternity and life in it, you're only going to get over it by submitting your life to Jesus continually. It is Jesus who is victorious and we're with him. Hallelujah. So this is Christ, the son of the living God. And then in light of knowing his love for us and his covenant commitment to us, then in light of that, he tells us who we are. At the very basis of who we are, we are sons and daughters of the living God. If you're here today and you are not stepped over the threshold, you would say, hey, I'm not born again. I don't feel connected to God. At the very least, I wanted to let you know you're made in the image of God and you're loved and wanted by him. You wouldn't be alive if God didn't want you. He wove you together in your mother's womb. So at the very basis, everyone is created in the image of God and wanted by God. And everybody has a void that will never be filled unless you come to God through Jesus. And for those who are born again, the Bible says God has given you the right to become children of God. So God tells me at the very least that I'm a child of God. And as we sit in his presence, he, he gives us that clarity of calling and assignment as we walk with him. So let me give you a couple little word pictures here to help out. I think we got our stick figures. There we go. All of us are born with a question mark. We're walking around, who am I? Who's gonna love me? Who's gonna care for me? What's my purpose? What's my plan? Am I accepted? Am I rejected? 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Could somebody just give me a wave if you understand the question mark? All right. So years ago, uh, we were in a prayer time praying for somebody. And I saw a question mark on their chest just in my mind's eye. And then I saw it pop out into an exclamation mark. No, God is, is not questioning whether you're a value. God is not questioning whether you're, there's a purpose or a call in your life. God has an, wants to turn the question mark into an exclamation mark through his love and his grace towards you. So at the very least today, I want you to know that you are a son or daughter of the living God, and that's not a least thing. That is the central thing. And then out of that, it is so easy for then God to guide and direct you to your assignment, calling, and expression of grace in the earth. We obsess over, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Where am I find significance everything else? Instead of, this is who I am. I'm a son of the living God. I'm a daughter of the living God. Therefore, his plans for me are good and not evil. All i got to do is listen and respond and walk with him. The question mark turned into an exclamation mark. And then we get into, who are my people? The church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we talked about last week, the church defined is the word ecclesia in many different ways. You basically come down to this basic thought. This ecclesia, this gathering, the Greek word literally just means an assembly or a gathering, is unique when Jesus says, this is my church because it is by definition called out ones to assemble or gather and to be sent for his purpose into the world. So who are we? Who are my people? They are this unique family of God attached to the living God that now have purpose and destiny. When we gather together, we gather to meet with him and to love him and to respond to him, but also to be equipped by him to go out and be sent by him to touch the world for his glory. That's a beautiful word, man. So you got your people now and Ultimately, what we talked about last week, this people, uh, though it is many things, it is ultimately the family of God. But I thought I would just blow you away for a moment, just kind of how big is this church? And I'll just barely touch a few of the things that we see in Scripture. Here we go. The church is, we can throw that big slide up there. The church is the fullness of Christ. Yeah, yeah I want to make sure that's on there. Great. The fullness of Christ, a building not made with hands. Uh, the body of Christ. We are the family of God. We're the bride of Christ. We're the pillar in support of truth. I always love to pause right there. <laughs> Without the church, the people of God being the people of God, there is no salt, light, and hope for the world. Let me just say that again. Without the people of God in the earth, there is no salt, light, and life of God to make what's wrong right. The chaos will continue until the people of God step up in authenticity, be the people of God for the glory of God because we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. All right, all these kind of are great sermons. Just by the way, we are the army of God. There we go. Pushing back darkness, calling in righteousness. We're the administration of Christ. Okay, that means how does God distribute his goodness in the earth? Through you and me. How is Jesus seen, made, and known? Through living stones, through you and me. Everywhere we go, when we're alive in Jesus, when we're on mission with Jesus, the distribution of God's grace is in every sphere of society in the world and in every country of the earth. That's huge. We're a house of prayer for all the nations. You guys know we're called to 24-7 prayer. You know why? Because we didn't call ourselves to 24-7 prayer. God did. 
He said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And here's one of my, my favorite one, the eternal purpose of God in Christ Jesus. Many visionary dreamers out there, man, I want to be a part of something big. I want to be part of something great. How about the eternal purpose of God in Christ Jesus? Let's start there. This is when you're a part of a church that is authentically alive, lovingly living out the design that God created us for in every sphere of society, everywhere we go for the glory of God, then the eternal purpose of God is being made manifest. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, literally rephrase, God, your rule and reign come. Your design for man be done in the name of Jesus. That's why we pray in our businesses, your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray in our education, your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray in our houses, your rule and reign, Jesus, because the chaos of man is messing everything up. Now, Lord, come bring your design so your eternal purpose might be made manifest through your people called the church. Wow. And here's what Jesus said. He didn't just call it the church in the scripture back to Matthew 16, 18. He called it my church. <laughs> it's my church. Wow. That, that, that actually gives me such security. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. And it's his church. Many of you are familiar. I've often talked about the passage where the apostle Paul runs into Jesus while he's uh, in rebellion to God and destroying the people of God. And he has this open vision. And Jesus says to Paul, as he's going to persecute Christians, he said, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So basically what Jesus is saying is that when you are hurting my people, you're hurting me. Not just saying it, he's saying, this is not going to happen. These are my people. I'm going to transform you to get on the team because you're hurting the team. And so basically the bottom line to all that is we are a part of a family that is his church, led by him, that he loves, that he carries and gathers in his arms, that he has purpose and plans for that are amazing and beautiful. And when we submit to Jesus and the authenticity of his people and his church, the gates of hell can't touch us. Anybody want hell off your back? All right, demons, darkness, broken. Anybody want that off your back? Okay, so here we go. You ready? Lay out before God, submit to God, stand up, resist the enemy, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you, and you're covered. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover you from all evil if you submit to God. And... The scripture is clear, I cannot do battle on my own. And I am a part of a family that has a purpose. And a family that rightly submitted to God is protected from the work of the enemy. Doesn't mean there aren't battles, doesn't mean there aren't challenges, doesn't mean there aren't issues to deal with. Of course, we're gonna talk about it in a moment. But here's my point, right submission to God, right submission to the people of God, the church of God, and pulling together submission to God creates a power of God that is so powerful that the enemy can't touch it. He can't come into a zone where the worship of Jesus is present. Two things can't, worship, can't be in the same space. All right, some of y'all look at me like you don't believe me, but let's, so let's keep going. So the shelter of God is under God's rule and reign and with his people, and when we're in that place, we have authority and power. 
Okay, the uh, little diagram we, we often use, the five circles of church. So let me say it this way. So these five circles of church, you have me and Jesus, life and life disciples of house to house church gathered, living on mission. So we go through the five circles of church for us is, uh, uh, let me just say it this way. Life is a series of meeting that, meetings that you show up for that determine your destiny. Y'all missed that one. Life is a series of meetings that you show up for that determine your destiny. When I put up the five circles, this isn't like a, um, a linear thing. It's a flow thing. It's a communal thing. So here's the deal. Starts with me and Jesus, so my own devotional life. I need to submit to God on behalf of my family, on behalf of the people that I serve and love wherever in the community. I gotta submit to God. Then I need two or three close friends that are being honest with one another, kind of that covenant group, the two or three disciples together. And then I need to know that we're gonna continue to multiply that and everybody's gonna do that with others. House to house, I need a small group together. We call that life group where there's people that I can be honest with and work with. And of course, it's an imperfect group. Can I just say that? Every life group is imperfect because you're there and because I'm there. So, but that doesn't, that doesn't, determine God's design for us to be in community. I'm in community because God said to be in community, not because it's perfect for me. Woo, there it is, all right. Church gathered, that's what we're doing right here. Congratulations, you're doing Circle Four. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. And we're gonna spend a time here in just a moment looking at Circle Five, which is living on mission. So here's what Jesus says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's my place of protection. That's my place of of covering, and then he goes in to the next part, verse 19, and he says this in uh, six, uh, 16, verse 19. All right, he says this, and I'm gonna give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, so here we go. So we've got our right revelation of Jesus. We know who he is, Christ, Son, living God. I've got, know who I am. I'm not a question mark. I'm an exclamation mark. Thank you, Jesus. I know who my people are, the church. And when I rightly align with the church in an authentic and holy way, then God is covering me from the evil one. But now he wants to make me an offensive weapon, not just a defender of the faith, not just to be defensive, but now he wants to turn. He says, so I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom and you're going to bind and loose things and bring my glory into every arena of life. Okay? So before we go there, let me just give you two words. Matthew's last words to the people of God, Matthew 18, uh, Matthew 28, excuse me, 18 through uh, 20. And, he's, and Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. And the clear implication is now I'm going to give it to you. All authority has been given to me. So now I need you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I go with you always. So Matthew believes this is the last thing that's needed to be said. Jesus has, given full, has been given full authority over heaven and earth. He is now giving that same authority to his people, imperfect as they are. He's giving them the authority to, in his name, come and bring to bear his purpose and his plan through literally discipling and investing in and walking with people in a meaningful way to salt and light the whole world. Okay? Big deal. 
So we have been given the authority. It's like, um, often use the illustration of a police officer's authority is not just in his gun or in his car, it's in his badge. He has been deputized. He's been given authority under the authorities of our city, authorities of our land, to then do justice. And when rightly done, he uses that authority rightly. It serves us all for protection and grace. When he steps outside the authority of what he's been asked to do, then it becomes chaos, right? So once again, we are, that's why we pray, bring righteous leaders, bring righteous policemen, bring righteous politicians, whatever it is. These, these are needful. We need them. Pray for them to be righteous because that, uh, that badge gives them incredible authority. So you've been given the same authority. And, uh, Luke, the writer of, of the book of Luke and Acts, decided that these were the last words that we needed to know. He says, you shall receive power, Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. So you, you shall receive power to be my witness. So every person in this room, born again person, is a witness of Jesus. And that means the the uh, words, that, the way that we declare the gospel wherever we go, and the life that we live. So when people say, well, I don't feel comfortable kind of sharing the gospel wherever I go, but I love people in the name of Jesus, give cups of cold water, I heal the sick, I care for people. Great. It's both. It's both and. It's not either or. There is a life that we live, and there is a truth that we proclaim of why we do what we do. And here it says, you shall receive power. That word power is where they get, it's called dunamis in the Greek. It's where you get the word dynamite. So I'm going to blow you up, <laughs> blow you up with power so that you can be a witness that radiates glory everywhere you go. Isn't that great? Luke thought that this would be the most important deal. So you take Matthew's authority that we've been given and Luke's power in, that he uh, uh, brings forward and you've got everything you need for your purpose. Okay? I, I know that some of you are looking, hey man, I just wanted a little help today. You're hurting my head. All right, so let, let, let's, let's, but remember, we're about the purpose of God. Come on. You've been given authority from God by the Holy Spirit. You didn't give it to yourself, just like you didn't give salvation to yourself. God gives you salvation, puts a spirit within you, and then he gives you authority, and he gives you power for the purpose that he's called you to do. Man, okay. So let me just bring it down to family talk. When we raised our kids, we uh, had a world map, had a little family devotions we would have morning by morning, and we had this little scrappy sheet of paper that said this, that we are a family, I think we've got it, a family of love, honor, and purpose. That, so every day we would go over that, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, know who God is, know that you are loved, love your neighbor as yourself. We honor other people. We're made not just for ourselves, but to serve others. Your brothers and sisters would be a good start, and then they can work out from there. And honor, and then we have a purpose to go and make disciples in the authority and the power of God, no matter how old you are. This is, this is who we are, right? We're a family of love, honor, and purpose. I could say the church is a family of love, honor, and purpose. This is God's desire and design for us. Now, in this passage, it gets very specific. So here we go. So then how do I exercise that authority and walk in that witness? What does that look like? And Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom 
And then um, we just talked about that. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, the, so number one, though there's multiple things here, you are a man or a woman of prayer and presence everywhere you go. Okay? So me, the, if you walk into a secular classroom as a teacher, that thing became the rule and reign of God because you're there. I resist darkness. I call in righteousness in the name of Jesus. Lord, rule and reign in this classroom. You walk into your cube at work, it's now the rule and reign of God. This space is now inhabited by the glory of God through the person of God who has authority and power, not by your choosing, by God's choosing, so the rule and reign of God may be made manifest. Woo! That's big. And when we go into our prayer closets, we have both the authority and the power of God to push back darkness and to call in righteousness because whatever is prayed over then brings in the presence and the power of God so that when we step into it, there's grace for whatever is needed. So this binding and loosing thing, let me, let me give you an example of, the, of a prayer that I had for years. Uh, I call it a little T-chart of prayer. You can put the T-chart up there. So here's praying for my mom's salvation. Very challenging lady. Grace of God. Come on. We got saved. We all began to pray for moms. So here's, here's what I would do in this binding and loosing. I bind fear in the name of Jesus, and I call in the love of God because your love casts out fear. I bind bitterness because that's the story of her life, and I release forgiveness of God and towards others in the name of Jesus. I bind anxiety. She struggled with lots of mental issues, mental health issues, anxiety related. I bind and resist anxiety in the name of Jesus, and I call in the peace of God. And of course, there's deception. Lord, I bind deception, blindness. I resist it, and I loose God truth in the name of Jesus. That's what binding and loosing is in its simplest form. People kind of say, well, I don't even understand. I'll just go on reading. No, no, no. Stop and just do this, right? And at least start here. Maybe you have some bigger revelation than I do, but this is good enough. So if you're resisting and binding evil and calling in righteousness, that is your purpose. That's what you do in the unseen realm or before God, and then you do it it, wherever you go, okay, I resist darkness. I call in righteousness in the name of Jesus because I have the, been given the authority to bind evil and to call in righteousness. Isn't that awesome? And just to give you a little encouragement, how long do I do that? How long do I lean in? Sometimes I see prayers answered immediately. I just do that little exercise. Sometimes I see the power of God show up in a moment. And sometimes it's for the long haul because I've been given an assignment to stay in there until... For my assignment with my mom, 40 years. She came to Jesus two months before she died at 89 years old. 40 plus years of binding and loosing. But boy, did it ever give me authority to pray for other people's loved ones to be saved. Did it give me authority to help other people? In a weird way, you think, well, my disappointment of not seeing it will cause me to give up. I just say you need to have exactly the opposite uh, mindset, and that's this. My disappointment is building strength for somebody else's victory. While I'm waiting for mine, you might as well get yours. So how can I now get your T-chart and pray and resist darkness for your loved ones and call in righteousness, or for your workplace and call in righteousness? Everybody with me? We've been given the authority and the power to bind and loose, and it's stunning. You guys, I mean, 
I want to run around to everybody and say, now tell me about your excuse and tell me about yours and tell me about yours and let me know I'm not good enough and I'm not bad enough. You don't know the problems. You know, actually, I probably have heard it all at least once. And the answer is the blood of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, and the power of Jesus is greater than it that, that you're saying prevents me from being who I am. You're a person of authority and power by God's choosing, a covenant love son or daughter of God, empowered for the glory of God to be light and salt everywhere you go in your imperfection. And you say, well, what if they find out that I'm imperfect? They already know it, number one. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, just be humble. You say, if you're a grump at work and you're ready to get over it and start being salt and light, you just say, hey, I know I've been a real grump. <laughs> That's not who I am. That's not who God's made to be. Please forgive me. I want to repent. And could I pray that we just push grumpiness out of the workplace in Jesus' name? I need help. We need help. I'll pray for you. A little humility goes a long way. This is not that difficult. It's also God glorifying in, in, when you confess your weakness and it creates space for God. Woo! This is good. Now, I got one, one other thought and a story to end. All right? So here we go. I always have more than one other thought, but I'm, I'm going to try to use self-control. So here we go. The, the one other thought is this. What I also know about all of us is that we're always wanting to know, am I in the right place doing the right thing? When will I fully feel alive and thriving? Okay. My experience in life is that is a cyclical emotion, but it does not determine the will of God. The other question is always, you know, when am I going to find my identity, my purpose, and my deal? And I totally believe God calls people to business and healthcare and education, law and construction, and to mom and daddy. These are all beautiful callings at one level, but they're ultimately what I have shifted to saying they're assignments for a moment. They're not identity to determine your life. If your identity is as a mom or as a business person or as a healthcare worker or an educator, if that's your identity, eventually something's going to shift and that's going to be a tough road when that identity gets taken away or you fail at what you're doing. But you're not a failure because you failed at, at this assignment. Just get up, learn from it, and go on. It's an assignment, not an identity. And the most powerful people in the workplace or in the neighborhood or momming and dadding are those who are secure that God has already called me, given me power and authority. It's not what you're doing, it's, what you're, it's who you are when you're doing it that brings great authority. So, all right, everybody. So how many people, that'd just be great, and would, just be honest, come on, we're doing family room stuff here. How many people are praying about a decision of God's will for my life right now. Just raise your hand. How many people? Just praying. I'm not sure about what I'm doing. I'm asking God for his will. Okay. All right. Several of you. The rest of you are about to or have just finished. All right. So <laughs> we're so anxious about identity and outcomes that we miss the power and authority in the present. So how do you find God's will for your life? Wherever you are, start living like Jesus. Wherever you are, find Jesus now intimacy, find the grace of God, bring the rule and reign of God into wherever you are. And with open hands, God, you lead, you guide, you direct. I'm open to any assignment at any time. But right now you have me here, mom, dad, brother, sister, coworker, whatever, the, the desired job, the not desired job, pray 
and live the will of God out now, and that gives him something to work with to, to move you if you need to move to something else. Amen? All right. So here we go. We just answered question four. Who's Jesus? Son of the living God. He is the fixed point of eternity forever and ever. Who am I? Child of the living God. Actually, can we put the stick figure back up there? That was so good. I just want to see that again. You don't have to live with a question mark. You can live with an exclamation mark. Lord, burn that in our hearts and our minds. Number three, who are my people? We're the church. We're the people of God. All that big stuff on the chart, but ultimately gets down to we're the family of God for his glory. And what is my purpose? My purpose is to be salt and light as a part of the family, to distribute the grace of God in my assignment where I currently am, to take the authority and the power to bind and loose through prayer and to literally bring in the kingdom of God and push out darkness by the way I live my life. Not in perfection, but in honesty and clarity and pointing everyone to Jesus and his purpose and his plan. Amen? All right. One last story. Um, Dear long-term friends, I said, Franklin and Fike, so good that you guys are here. Going to brag on your kids. And uh, so uh, Frank and Linda and uh, Laura and I, and we, we had uh, just the beautiful opportunity to be in church at Highland and also here together through the years. And um, their girls grew up in our youth group. And um, one of their daughters, Amy, she and her husband, Joe, now lead the church in Antioch, Dallas, previously led by the other sister, Christina and Zach. And... Um, so not to confuse everybody, just hang, hang with me. <laughs> Tell a story about Amy is what I'm going to get to. <laughs> so um, Amy was uh, finishing up school uh, at Dallas Baptist, was at Annie, in Antioch, Dallas, and was doing the training school and um, uh, was trained as an educator. And so she had prayed, I want the perfect job, right? I want this, and this is my desire, and this is my desire. And she got another job other than, in her mind, the perfect job. Um, and so she ended up at a school um, in an inner city, and it was a charter school. And it was started by, uh, Christians started the school, but it was just open to the public. It was basically a secular school led by uh, believers. And um, so in the school, she was working hard, loving kids, teaching them, educating them. She's just a great lady, so we know that part was happening. Her witness was real. She was authentic. But she said, there's got to be more. There's just got to be more. And so Zach and Christina and Amy got together and said, well, let's pray for more. Let's pray for an evangelistic anointing. Let's pray for the gospel to become tangible and real. And in this particular uh, classroom, there were Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists as people had come from around the world to live in Dallas. And that was her classroom. And, um, and so within just a few days of beginning to pray, God, would you open up doors for the heart to open up? We're, we're, we're working hard. We're loving everybody. But God, we need a breakthrough for their hearts. Well, God began to open doors, and the students began to ask her about her own faith and who is Jesus. And, you know, when you're asked, you've got to tell, right? You've just got to be honest. And so she began to share about Jesus. Well, within a few days um, after that, literally, of the 20 students that she had care over, 12 of them gave their lives to Jesus. 12 of them. Isn't that amazing? 12 out of 20. Well, 12 out of 20 began. One of the uh, young ladies was a Hindu girl, and she asked her mom if she'd buy a Bible, who was also Hindu uh, background. And they began to read the Bible together. And not only did the daughter get saved, but the mom got saved. Another young man who came from a Muslim background prayed a prayer of faith, and, and automatically he began to confess his sins of lying and 
different things that he was doing wrong in the classroom. Uh, that ought to motivate us to pray for <laughs> salvation alone. But what happened was that, remember, Amy didn't get the perfect job in her mind, but she got God's job. Some of you guys feel like you're in the wrong place, but if maybe if you would let God into it, maybe it's the right place, at least for the time being. And when she began to own that, okay, God has me here. Now, what do we do? We be... We should now live as a witness, not with only our lives, but Lord, is there a proclamation of your testimony? There begin to be a shift and a change in those schools. And what what we'll see in eternity and maybe in this life is those students who were transformed forever and ever because we tapped into not just a temporal teacher who did good, but a teacher who brought them to eternity so that they're tied to that rope for life, for life. Isn't that amazing? I love that. I love that. I'm so proud of this community. I could tell thousands of stories of so many of you that give cups of cold water and live with integrity and authenticity and pray for people and care for people. But I just want you to know there is more. There is more for all of us, you guys. My prayer today is that God would fill us with faith again. He'd lift our heads up and we would let the walls come down and we would run to Jesus And let him fill us, let him blow us up with his dunamis power to be the witness that he's called us to be. Let's stand together.